We're going to uh, continue that thought as we consider what's really important. After, uh, after college, I, uh, I kind of, you guys know I've shared this, I didn't live college well. I went to a Bible school but partied my brains out. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, and so I, I knew I wanted to be in ministry, but I knew I wasn't living it. So I moved down to Virginia and uh, where my brothers were going to school. And I was like, I'm going to fight with God. I'm going to powwow with God a little bit. And uh, just him and I work on some stuff. And in that moment, I'm uh, living in my brother's apartment. And uh, like for my brother, cleanliness is not next to holiness, if you've ever heard that saying. And uh, so like, he went to Goodwill and got a, uh, the ugliest orange couch in the world. And so this is my couch for my house that I loaded up in my van last night to have here. Ava loves that I'm a preacher here. <laughs> so, yeah, anyways. And, uh, but here I am in, in an apartment called, uh, it was the Bramblewood Apartments down in Lynchburg, Virginia. It was cheap. Uh, the people were selling uh, drugs, dope, whatever, down the hallway. Uh, there were cops routinely at the apartment complex. It was cheap. And, uh, and one day, uh, my, my phone's just blowing up. And uh, it really happened for about 24 hours. And finally, I pick it up. And it's a, uh, it's a creditor. And uh, I had taken some advice in high school. Why don't you open up a credit card? And uh, every month, just pay it off and, you know, build up some credit. Wonderful advice for a 17-year-old. And uh, so then I went off to college, put a lot of beer on it, and uh, racked up quite a bill. And then decided I'm just going to ignore it. And two and a half years later, uh, they wanted their $2,000. And so my phone was blowing up with threats of the police, threats of lawyers. It had gotten to the serious state. And here I am in a miserable rink-a-dink apartment, struggling with just life and my financial ruin. I actually got the phone call, fell down onto the couch, fell off the couch for whatever reason, and uh, sat here. And uh, I called, it was a flip phone. Uh, it wasn't like the iPhone there, like flip phoned it. Uh, flip phoned my mom. And uh, said things you don't say to your mom. I started cursing up and down everywhere because I was miserable. I had made a mistake and I needed a bailout. And thankfully, my, my mom and dad, they, they bailed me out and the calls stopped. We paid the bill. But it was a lesson I needed to learn. And I had hit a, a rock bottom of sorts in that moment where, where I had let money just ruin myself. I, I, I need to grow in that. And so today, we're, gonna, we're going to address the subject of money in church. That goes over like a fart in a spacesuit. <laughs> I uh, had my kids, my kid had a birthday party on Friday. And uh, I was trying to impress them for a second. And I yelled out, like they did something, I yelled out, bangerang. And then they all looked at me like I was like, bangerang. I was like, yeah, you know, like Captain Hook back in the day. And uh, like, looky, looky, I got hooky from that movie. And they just were like, you're like the not coolest person in the world. And so like I understand talking about money in church is like, is like saying bangerang to a seven-year-old. But isn't it something that as we talk about growing in our faith, as we talk about just growing as an individual, isn't money an area of growth for all of us, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian? I had to learn that if I'm irresponsible with money, a credit card's the last thing I should have. That's just practical advice for anybody, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian. 
as a Christian, I need to learn that, yeah, I understand that God says you can do more with 90 than you do with 100%. That you can keep it all and be selfish or you can trust me with 10% of it as the starting point to generosity. Those are tough messages. I know that money is the last God that people typically give up when surrendering things over to Jesus. So I know that this is a tough talk. But I also realize that as we grow as individuals, as we grow as humans, that this is an important talk to consider our growth. Money isn't evil. Money's neutral. It's what we do with money that, that makes it evil. So James, James picks up, and in our verse, in our, the first verse that we're going to look at, look at, he says, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. So our thought for this morning is, is, not, is not a fun one. It's an ungodly love for money acquires wrath. That when we, that when we place Jesus... When we place money over Jesus, that, 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 money, that money isn't going to save us when we meet wrath. Riches in, riches in themselves aren't necessarily worthless. It's what we do with it. It's what we do with money that says, what's our God? What, what's important to us? Sinful people are going to be judged for being sinful. And money is something that people use for, for sin. So James in this passage is going to, to rail. He's going, he speaks very bluntly. It's such a James thing to do. He goes right into, like, if you have pride, if you have security and money, I have news for you. You shouldn't. So this is not, at the start, an easy talk. But we have to consider, where is our security? As, as we think about our retirement, as we think about our bank account, as we think about our paycheck, as we think about this promotion or that promotion or staying here or moving or this, like when we think about our security, are we, are we trusting that our security is found in Jesus and that he, that he has us or is our security in things that pad our bank account? And so he gives us this warning that, that if, if security is found in, in, in wealth and that's your God, then, then, I, then you need to contemplate the wrath that will come for you. Because guess what? I know a lot of us come from a Catholic background. And this is going to offend some of you. Purgatory is nowhere in the scriptures. You can have a big bank account when you die and leave it to your kids. And they can, you might think that they can just pay your way into heaven. If that's the case then we all strive to be rich, but it's not. We have a decision to make today about Jesus. And so he gives us four reasons. James gives us four reasons to contemplate this morning. He says, contemplate this morning if you hoard your riches. Because if that's the case, then money might be your God. He says this as we pick it up. He says, your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. And your gold and your silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you. And will eat your flesh like fire, for you have laid up treasure in the last days. He he says three he says three three verbs: rot, decay, corrode. And those are all. And I'm going to get geeky here for a second. Those are in the in the perfect tense. You know what that means? It means that it hasn't yet happened, but it's guaranteed that it's going to happen. So you have this wealth, you have these riches, and all these all the stuff that you are accumulating is going to rot, decay, corrode. Who takes it with them to their grave? Who takes them with it into eternity? It will be absolutely meaningless and nothing good will come of it. It all is going to fade away. Your stuff will rot. So how and why would we put 
security in that? Why would we hoard something that is going to ultimately fade away? To live the playboy lifestyle and finding security in that is foolish. There, are, there was this meeting in 1923, a meeting that I would have killed to have been at. It was at the uh, what, luxury uh, Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. It included some heavy hitters like Charles Schwab, who was the president of Bethlehem Steel Corporation, a guy named Rich, uh, Richard Whitney, who was the president of the New York Stock Exchange. He could probably give me advice on my stocks. Uh, Albert Fall, who was the uh, secretary of the interior under President Harding. You had Jesse Livemore, who was a Wall Street tycoon. And you had Ivar Kruger, uh, Kroger, uh, head of a global monopoly uh, of match manufacturers. So here's a whole bunch of rich people together that you and I would probably say, like, oh, they have it going on. We would love to get advice from them. They could probably give us advice on a 401k, advice on the stock market, advice on blah, blah, blah. Like, all good things. Like, let's talk to them. That would be a great conversation. But here's how they died. Charles Schwab died in 1939, just a few years later, $300,000 in debt. Whitney served time in the Sing Sing prison for embezzlement. Fall served time for misconduct in office, office leaving behind a ruined re reputation. Livermore committed suicide in 1940, describing himself as a failure. Kroger uh, shot himself in 1932 after his global monopoly collapsed. At that dinner, at that lunch, whatever it was, you and I probably would have uh, wanted to be a lot like them. But when we look at the fruit of their life, do we still want their wealth and what it did to them? There's a proverb that says, wealth, wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers us from death. Your money won't save you. Money can be used for a lot of good, but it won't ultimately save you when you're standing before God. Why should I let you into the gates of heaven? Why should we spend eternity together? Because God, I'm worth a lot of money. It won't save a person. Because on the day of your death, God is going to hand you a bill that no amount of money can pay for. The bill is the, is the length and the deeds of your life that shows that you and I demand wrath. It's a bill that you and I cannot pay on our own. He's going to hand it to us, and no amount of money will be able to do anything with it. It's what we decide here on earth, Jesus Christ, that decides if that's a bill that has been paid or not. It's Jesus' righteousness that pays that bill. So we need to contemplate this morning if... If we hoard our riches, we need to contemplate this warning if we cheat others. Because if we cheat others, then, then money might be our God. Behold, which the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. Cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. I love how the ESV correctly uh, translates that it's the Lord of hosts. He reminds us that, that we might be poor on this earth, that there might be rich people coming against us. But who are they messing with? They're messing with not just God. He, he, he classifies it's the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies. He's not a God. Trust me, if he can breathe out stars, if he can, if he can create this, with, this whole earth with just a mere word. And if he comes and he's backed by a host, of an angel army, 
amount of money will save you? Is he a God that we want to mess with? We, when we looked at the book of Joshua, we said he, he's equally good. He's good. He's awesome. He did awesome things for Israel. And at the end of the book, he says, as good as it's been, it can be that bad. So is he a God that we want to, to take lightly? So perhaps we've made, perhaps we have wealth and now we're taking advantage of others. And that might be a sign that money is our God and where we're finding security. We were the, the second largest industry in Tom's River is the uh, construction field. I used to work construction. And uh, this isn't to get political because I, it's a whole bunch of political stuff around uh, illegals or people that are here illegally and things of that nature. But you know how that plays out in the construction field. You know how that plays out in the landscaping field, that, that people with a whole bunch of money sitting on perhaps millions or hundreds of thousands of dollars are willing to go and to hire people for, for a few dollars a day under the table to do all of their dirty work. That was my job as a construction laborer. I did all the dirty work. And my bosses had plenty of illegal Mexicans that, that would come in and surround and help us. And I was told, I had to know that if the police came and they go away for a little bit, that it's okay, just keep doing your job. That's the society in which we live in, where people at the top so easily take advantage of those at the bottom. A sports analogy where, where uh, the NCAA basketball has begun and we can debate on if college basketball players should be paid. There is a big debate in sports about that. But come time with the basketball tournament in March, March Madness. I love that time of life where I can sit and watch TV for hours and hours and hours. It doesn't annoy Ava at all. And I'm watching basketball and basketball. And, and here that, that one tournament makes millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. And you have these basketball players, they get a free education. That's definitely worth something. I have a butt ton of college debt I would love to have not to pay, be paying right now. But isn't there a discrepancy where people at the top can hoard all these funds and not give it to people that are in need? So he says, contemplate, contemplate this warning. If you hoard your riches, if you cheat others, if you live now a selfish lifestyle, because if you're living a selfish lifestyle, then money might be your God. You've lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Self-indulgent, doesn't that describe so much of us in, in society? Like, we're going, we're going to sit around a table. We're going, to, we're going to be in the Christmas season. How many of us are going to say to some of our kids over the next few months, you don't realize how good you have it. Many of us are going to say that. I just said that to my kids. My kids were eating. Eating with kids is like such a nightmare. Like, parents, give me an amen, please. Hey, thank you. I'm not the only one. And so I'm eating. We're eating. And Landon doesn't like what he's eating. He wants this, that, the other thing. He's like, well, Dad, you gave me these two options, but I want these four other options. I'm like, no, you're going to eat. What? And he's like complaining, complaining. And I just finally blurted out, I grew up on mac and cheese and hot dogs because that's all my mom could afford. You have it so good. And like we had a major discussion because he was complaining, complaining, complaining. I'm like, like, your mom grew up on mac and cheese and peas. That's disgusting. <laughs> he doesn't realize how good he has it. This self-indulgent lifestyle that we have to remind him of where he's come from and, and where we've come from. I'll be honest. 
this one message, this, this one point to contemplate is what hits me the hardest. Uh, you guys know I've said this before that I want to lead by example when it comes to generosity. And so I strive. I want, when I die, I want to die a man that is giving away 90% of his income and only living on 10. I want to flip it around. I want to I strive for that type of generosity. So each year I try to up the percentage that I'm, I'm giving towards the local church. And last week, I mean, we joked about my cell phone and that it's broken and, and, and that I can only take selfies and stuff. It's my hill to die on, I guess, my cross, whatever. But you know where my self-indulgent lifestyle comes in is that I probably give an extra three, four, five hundred dollars a month to the local church that, that according to scripture is, is over and above a, a tithe. I could go and get a new phone. Shot on my iPhone 8. I want to hashtag that too. <laughs> but I can't. Because I'm paying down my phone. Because I, if I went and bought a new phone right now, it would take away from generosity. Would, I'd have to physically for a month's time change my lifestyle to go and, and do what I want. Because I'm self-indulgent. So I don't judge people that are self-indulgent. I don't judge people that are, that, like, think me, 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 because I think me, 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 too. It's hard. It's not easy to be gener generous, but God calls us to trust him. And at the end of the day, a self-indulgent life that's hoarding, that's keeping, that, that all, is it going to save you? Lastly, he says, contemplate this morning, yes, if, if you hoard your riches, if you cheat others, if you live a selfish lifestyle, but lastly, if you take unfair advantage of good people, because money might be your God. He says, you have condemned and you have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. This takes that previous point, but takes it to another level. Like you're, you're, you're affecting people, you're, you're, you're stealing from people, you're taking advantage of people, but now it's to the point of that your, your wealth has grown where you're taking advantage of good people, good and righteous people that aren't going to talk bad about you, that's going to, that as a Christian, that we're going to turn the other cheek, that you're, that you're physically taking advantage of people. And if that's the case of good, well-nurtured people, then perhaps money is your God. Because money has a unique way of putting scales over our eyes. Money has a unique way where, where you think if you have more wealth that you would be more generous. But money has this unique way of only putting scales over our eyes so that we're blind to the needs around us. But it has a, has a way of freezing up our hands so, it's in our, like, so we, we don't do anything. We, we sit on our funds while we do absolutely nothing when there's people in need. James has talked about this. You, you look at a brother and says, oh, you need a coat. You need to be warm. Well, go and be warm. I'll pray for you while you sit with a whole bunch of coats and you don't give to the brother in need. That's, rich people have a tendency to do that, to sit and, and, and not be generous. I pray I pray for someone that's faithful in giving and faithful in the Lord. God can do a lot with that. He can do a lot with anything. So here's this person that, that cheats others when they're well-nurtured, well-natured and good. When we were moving from Barnegat to Bayville, I had a situation where I utilized uh, that Facebook marketplace. I could sell a lot, a lot of stuff on that thing. Anybody else, like, have you guys sold on Facebook marketplace? phenomenal. It's awesome. You get like stuff that you're going to throw away, you can get $20 for. And, uh, and so there was this desk, a chair, a nice cherry desk that my, I had inherited, I guess, from my dad. And uh, it was sitting in my garage. And so we went to sell my house and I had, uh, I sold this desk to somebody for $40. It's like a $600 desk. I sold it for $40, but it was really, really heavy. And my 
back in Barney, get my house was, or my garage was kind of my backyard and enclosed by a fence, so we really couldn't use it for a car. It's messed up, but anyway. And uh, so my, my couch is in there. I sell it to somebody. We agreed to $40, and for like a week and a half, I'm saying, okay, you're going to need some help to come and get it. You're going to have to, like, lift it up over the fence. You'll need a few guys, and, uh, and you know, but here you go. And so he actually came. He paid me, looked at it, and, uh, and then for a week, he's trying to set it up. He, okay, I'm going to come this day. Doesn't show. Going to come the next day. Doesn't show. Going to come, the, like, never shows up. And so here it is, the very last day, the, the people buying my house are physically signing papers, but as they did their final walkthrough, they saw the desk, and they said, we're not signing papers until the desk is gone. I'm like, you have screwed me. You have made a deal to get rid of this desk, and now what do I do? And so me and my real estate agent did whatever two, you know, barbarians would do, and we each grabbed a hammer, and we absolutely annihilated that desk and threw it in his truck. And it just so happened, <laughs> as we're loading this broken desk into, uh, into the truck that this guy drives by, and there's, he's not with anybody. He physically couldn't get the desk. And uh, he's like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. He's apologizing up and down. And then he drives away, and like 10 minutes later, he goes, you're going to need to send me $40. And I was like, the heck I do? Like, we had deal after deal, and you just... And I went back and forth with him, and finally I was like, is $40 worth the stress that I'm putting into this man? And so I sent him a check for $40 because I just didn't care. I wanted to win by the principle. You guys, like, maybe your husbands do that sometimes. Like, it's the principle of it. It's the principle. I, I had the principle of it, but at times I was just like, you know what? It's okay. If someone wants to, in essence, take advantage of a good-natured person, not realize the, the hardship that it cost me, I, he could have paid me for the time it took to destroy that thing, but whatever. So when we consider how we put security in money, when we put security in, we can put security in family, we can put security in a whole bunch of things, but James is focused in right now for the, for the person that has never committed their life to Jesus, how we, we need to consider how we've put security in, in finances and how it won't go with us. What good will it be on the day of, of judgment when God makes us take an account for our lives? What did you do with your life? Will he find pride and arrogance? You might think one thing right now, but when we die, we might be woefully mistaken. When I was in college, I uh, was invited uh, to go tanning. I'm like a pale white dude who's never been tanning in his life at that point. But I had a crush on this girl, so I said, yes, I'll go tanning. I've never been tanning in my life up until that point. And so I agreed to go tanning because I thought, okay, this is a way to get a second date. And uh, so I go tanning and... Like, it cost, like, $3, which should have been my first sign that $3 for 30 minutes to go tanning, like, shady and, like, going to die type of a thing. But whatever. I went tanning. And uh, I, again, had never been tanning. And I wasn't about to ask her, like, hey, what do you do? Like, anything I should know? Because it's like, oh, just get into a bed, lay down, and go tan and fall asleep or whatever. And, uh, and so I got into the room and plopped myself on the tanning bed, and it was glorious. It's, like, warm in that little cocoon that you make, and uh, you put little goggles on, and it's, it's, it's glorious. And there's a fan that, like, keeps you somewhat cool as you're, as you're there and, like, tanning and whatnot. And uh, 
I, uh, I made a, mis- a, a deadly mistake when I was in, in the tanning booth. I, I, uh, I got in there backwards. And uh, in the middle of it, you know, like, it's, it's a little embarrassing to share, but, like, you get really, really relaxed when you're in a tanning bed if you've never done it. And so, like, I didn't realize it and just kind of all of a sudden quickly happened. All of a sudden I passed gas in the middle of this little cocoon. I, I ripped one. And, uh, which is all well and good, but you're in a cocoon, so that's terrible. And where I made a terrible mistake is that the fan is supposed to go at your head to keep you cool. I got in it backwards in my little cocoon and put the fan at my feet, which was just awesome to, to rip one when you're so relaxed and then have the fan nicely blow it all up into your face completely ruining my tanning bed experience. I got out and it was like drive heaving. I didn't actually vomit, but I was drive heaving that this all got literally blown up in my face. I was woefully mistaken about how awesome a tanning bed would be. There are some of us that are living the relaxing tanning bed lifestyle here on earth. (laughs) And when we die... The security that we have found in wealth might blow up in our face. When God asks for you to give an account of your life, if you haven't found security in Jesus, no other place of security will save you. Ephesians says, says this. I, 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 it's, a, it's a beautiful verse. He says, in him we have redemption through what? Through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which which he has lavished upon us. The riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Ephesians 1, 7 through 9. Leave that verse up there for for a little bit. That that in Christ, we want riches. Well, we can find riches in Jesus because he's going to shed his grace upon us in in a lavished way. In in 1 John, uh, John, the author there, says that how great it is that we should be called children of God, that he's lavished upon. He uses that same word. He's lavished his love upon us that we should call ourselves children of God. So we don't need to find security in money. We don't need to find security in family. We don't need to find security in a house. We don't need to find security in a relationship. don't need to find security in any of that. There's one place to find ultimate security, and that's in Jesus Christ, knowing that I am a mess up, knowing that I am a screw, knowing that I have done many, many stupid things. I, have, I, have, I am not a perfect man. And that Jesus, in his wealth, through his son, has lavished love and grace on me. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. I deserve hell. I deserve a penalty. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, because God took his wrath out on Jesus, I don't have to face that wrath. That's love. That's grace. Grace is now the second side of that, where grace is I get a whole bunch of things that I don't, I don't deserve. It's not that I don't get what I do deserve. Now it's grace is I, I do get what I don't deserve. It's the opposite side of that. So I get heaven. I get his his love that he's lavishing upon me. And so today, you have a choice to make. 
Is your security someplace beyond Jesus? It's a very real question. Will that save you when you die? Or perhaps you need to consider now that you might be woefully mistaken that upon dying, there's a decision that's made here on earth that if Jesus Christ is your Savior, your Lord, that he died, he shed his blood for you, then you get to stand before God clean, forgiven, because God won't see your sin. He'll see the blood of Jesus Christ and say it's all forgiven. Wrath is going to be taken out on you. The choice is made here to accept the fact that it was taken out on Jesus. And if that's not accepted, then it's taken out on you. So what choice will you make? Where, where will you find security? So recapping our points now is contemplate this morning if you hoard your riches, if, if you cheat others, if, if you live a selfish lifestyle, if you take unfair advantage of good people because God might, because money might be your God. But see, if in that first point, if you hoard riches, what if God's your God? What if you were to completely surrender it over to God? And then if God's your God, then you don't need to hoard, hoard riches because you have all you need in Jesus. If God's your God, you, you look forward to the, the, the eternal life with great anticipation that if I die, it's not a big old downer that I get to spend eternity with Jesus. I don't need to hoard anything because I get everything in the next life. I don't need anything here. I, I have everything in the next life because God's my God. I don't need feel like I need to take anything with me. Except perhaps my family members. I want them to come with me. <laughs> Contemplate this warning if you cheat others because money might be your God. But if, if God is your God, then, then Jesus is our satisfaction. I don't need to find satisfaction in cheating others. I say Jesus is, is my satisfaction. I love others because he first loved me. I'm free of the love of money because Jesus is my satisfaction. That money is just a means to be generous and love other people if God is my God. Contemplate this warning if you live a selfish lifestyle because money might be your God. But if God is your God, then, then me isn't the focus. I'm not focused on me. I'm focused on Jesus. So I learn, I want to learn to trust God more and more with my lifestyle. Trust him more and more and trust myself less and less. As I think about the weight of my life, I'm a big old screw-up. I'd rather trust God than, than me. Contemplate this warning if you take unfair advantage of good people because God may be your God. But if God is your God, then we strive for generosity. That's a value here at church, at Wellspring. Generosity is, is we serve a generous God, so we'll be generous with our time and with our money and with our skills. When I die, I won't consider it a downer if someone says, well, there goes a generous man. That will be a very good thing. So here at church, here at Wellspring, we pray for one. We see that Jesus had 99 sheep, but he sought after that one lost sheep. So if God is my God, I want to live a generous life where I'm seeking after that one. Where if that, if that one takes advantage of me, I'm okay to give the one the advantage. I'm okay with giving them everything they need, every, doing everything I can so that they can turn and have a relationship with Jesus. That, that if God is my God, then I'm okay being the cheated over the cheater. I want to give the one the advantage so they will come to know Jesus. So we do all these things in the community because that's, that's our focal point here. And, and what we say is this. This is the website that's on every single card. www.wellspring.one, the why. We've shared this before. You can look at it right now. We do kind things for people because we want to give them the advantage. We want them to know the love of Jesus Christ in a practical way. And then we give them a card that says God loves you and so do we with a website that directs them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they, they will line a loving message with a loving act and not just one or the other. 
Because in the community, we want to be seen as different. So that people ask the question, why? So that is my challenge for us today. Where I know talking about money and wrath and considering those things goes over like a, like a fart in a spacesuit. I get that. But my, my challenge for us today is consider God's generosity and then be generous. I understand that this might, maybe we have Christians that have been lying about their giving or, or just holding it back and pretending like they give when, when maybe this is a kick in the pants to say, I, I want to start being generous and helping us further this mission into the community. Perhaps it will encourage you to be grateful to Jesus and have your giving be in line with your gratitude towards Jesus. I get that. But here's the last thing I want to have happen because this happens in churches across America. It's why a lot of people don't go to church. If I go to church, all they do is talk about money. All they do is all they want is my money. They want it me, me, me. We, so we're not going to do that today. I, I hope that some, maybe today you'll consider God's generosity through Jesus Christ. Maybe it will encourage you to give, but here's what we're going to do. It costs us about $5,500 a week to maintain salaries, the rent to this building, the equipment, the uh, background checks, our community projects, all this, it costs about $5,500 a week. So today, anything that's given over and above $5,500, if you drop a million into the box back there, if you drop $10,000 back there, we're going to give it away. And we have four missionaries. We support Keswick, who deals with the drug and alcohol. We, we support a missionary over in India who's, who's printing hundreds, like thousands and thousands of Bibles to give to people in their native tongue and, and starting up churches. We, we support, what we mentioned last week, a lady at OCC who's leading people to Jesus Christ on an OCC campus right here in Tom's River. And we support Converge, who's planting churches across America and this world. And so anything given today over and above 500 or 5,000, 500, that would be great, uh, 5,000, $5,500. We're going to give to our missionaries, but before we give it to our missionaries, there's a need right here in our, own, in our midst, a lady that comes to church every single week and serves that has a car situation that she can't fix or afford to fix during the Christmas season. So this money over and above $5,500 will first go to helping her, serving somebody within her own body. So I don't want anybody leaving here saying, well, Wellspring's only about money. Wellspring's only, oh, just take my money, take it, take it, take it. No maintain our budget, then we're going to give it all away today. So if you're sitting on $10,000, well, then today's the day to start. <laughs> we're going to give it away. The community, to our missionaries, to people within our body, just to show God's love in a practical way. So we want people to know that there's a God, that there's a Jesus. I've heard somebody say before that uh, they're challenged with their giving, but how can I trust God when there's so many people dying on this planet? So many people specifically dying of starvation. I thought about that this week. The UN did a study last year that said it would cost $30 billion to end world hunger. I don't know if the UN's right or not, but let's pretend for a second they are. There's a supposedly 2.2 billion Christians on this planet. So if every Christian gave $15 a year we could end world hunger, supposedly. $15. So if we started giving $15, there's some of us in this room that attend every single week that have never given $15. We give more to our Comcast bill than we would the local church. But $15 and we could end world hunger if every Christian did that. Or, or there's 400, uh, 415,000 churches in America 
If every church in America simply gave $72,000 of their church budget, we could end world hunger. My point is this. I don't know if those statistics are right or not. I assume they are because Google said so. Perhaps people have such an awful view of God. And they see God as so small and incapable when, when the means are right there within the church. Right there within his people. That if we were a generous people, that perhaps it would open up the eyes of a big, mighty God, a generous God. That yes, I'm willing to let him be my security. I'm willing to let him be my God. We've seen that happen when we did the gas day. We saw that happen with the diapers, that it opens up people's minds to perhaps there really is a God when I see the generosity of his people. So my prayer today is that for those of us that have walked in here with a security, whether we're Christian or non-Christian, whatever, but security in wealth, what good is that? May it be a means to be generous. May today we leave here saying, God, You're my security. You free me up to be generous. Let me pray and we'll sing one more song. God, thank you for today. Father, thank you for this time to consider. Thank you, God, for your word, for for what you put on the heart of James through through the pages of Scripture, Father, that, Father, you're our security. Father, that I I can take confidence in Jesus Christ. I can take confidence in his blood, in his resurrection, that I can take confidence in the life that I have in Jesus. Father, may I see everything on this planet as fading away and useless. If it's not for your son. Father, give me your son. Thank you for your son. And I pray that today, people walking in here with security in in so many other areas would leave here saying, no, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And that they would give it up to you. That they would find security in you and not be woefully mistaken on the day of judgment. Would they consider you? And if you're in that place, you would see, you would just need to cry out to God with something like this. God, I am sorry. I am a sinner. I have done wrong. I am not perfect. I understand that I deserve your wrath. And God, today I take security in that your wrath was taken out on Jesus and not taken out on me. Thank you. Jesus, thank you. I choose no longer this day forward to find security any place else. I find security in you and you alone, Jesus. Thank you. I worship you. Amen. If that is your prayer, you are a child of God and there is a party for you now and in, in heaven for you. And so we're going to sing a song of worship and we worship with the angels for those that have said yes to relationship with Jesus. There are aisle hosts at each one of these two little entrances here and there's aisle hosts in the back. They have Bibles that talk about a relationship with Jesus. Please and c- come see us. We want to talk more about this relationship for those that just prayed that prayer. Let's worship.